How is your faith this morning? I don't mean how is your family tradition of being a Christian. I'm not meaning how is your faith by the system of beliefs that you agree with or you hold to, but how is your confidence in God being who He says He is? How is your assurance that God's truth is still true for you today as much as it was for anybody else? How's your faith? Scripture tells us Faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing comes from the Word. That's not my idea. That's what Scripture says. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word. And so, as we dive into God's Word today, I want to encourage you, I don't really care if you listen to what I have to say, but press into what God has to say from His Word and what He's saying to you. Because He not only wants to reveal truth to you, but as you hear His Word, He wants to increase your faith. Amen? And he wants to increase your confidence and, and your expectantness of him to work in your life. I've been praying that God would raise the level of our faith in this room today. And let's do that by hearing from his word. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34. We'll be there in a couple of minutes. We've been in a series, our second week in a series entitled Stuck. Everybody gets stuck, but you don't have to stay stuck. Now, don't let the enemy jump on your shoulder today and say, well, if you were a a really good person, then you wouldn't be in this mess or this jam. This is a lie from hell. Every person gets stuck, but you don't have to stay stuck. He wants to get you to feel so depressed and discouraged and doubtful of why you're even in this situation, he wants you to gloss over the fact that you don't have to stay stuck. Now, here's why we get stuck. We talked last week about the family traditions or the patterns or the habits of how we live life. When we take our way of doing things, our rules, our patterns, our habits, our traditions, and we make them equal to God's law, His Word, His truth, or greater than his law, his word, his truth, we get stuck. And traditions aren't all bad, rules aren't all bad, and and even habits, they're not all bad, but when we make them equal to God's law, his truth, or greater than his law or his truth, they get us stuck. We are in prison, we are trapped in our own system of living. Now I want to challenge us this morning that you cannot change what you're not willing to own up to. Last week we talked about the things that we had inherited or been passed down to us, but I want to emphasize this morning that you are responsible for your own choices. You cannot blame the people who've passed things down to you any longer because God has given you the free will to choose if you will break that pattern of living and to choose your own direction. Some of us here today, we can't even process the rest of this truth until we face up to what it is that we have been in agreement with and these patterns, these habits, these traditions, these way of living of our own preference greater than what God has said for us to do. What is it that you need to face up to? What is it that you need to be honest and say, okay, this is my choice. I can't blame dad. I can't blame mom. I can't blame the church. I can't blame somebody else. This is my choice. I want us to look this morning at a 
young man who's eight years old, and yet he finds himself being king. He made some serious changes that not only got himself unstuck, but got his entire nation unstuck. There's three things that he did, at least three things, and I want us to look at these three things and how they can help us, how they're relevant to us today in getting unstuck. Josiah is this eight-year-old king. He came from a rough home. This hard home life went back a few generations, and for us to catch this today as you're turning to chapter 34, we'll be there in just a second, I want to remind you that Josiah's grandfather was a very wicked king. He was so bad that he wanted to get rid of every trace of Jehovah, of God, of of Judaism. And so because of his hatred for that, he put idols in the temples. He killed the priests. He did everything he could to undo what was happening for the people of God. And he began to put other things in its place. He basically acted in every crazy and unbelievable, unimaginable way possible. He did more harm to the Jewish faith and tradition than anyone else who was outside that realm. This man also had a son named Ammon. This was Josiah's father. Ammon followed in his father's footsteps. He did not change anything from what he had been passed down. He continued down the same path. Ammon was killed and all those who were with him was killed. And we find this passage of scripture in a time when Ammon was surrounded by all kinds of killing and hurt and pain and wickedness and he finds himself now with his father dead he has inherited the kingdom and he is now to take over at age eight and he's got some decisions to make he has some traditions some habits some patterns that he needs to deal with some he's going to own up to and some he's going to change of what has been handed down to handed down to him He starts out by refusing to excuse. Some of us today just need to refuse to make excuses of why we do the things that we do. We can hear God's word. We can say we believe in God's word. We can even know portions of God's word. But it's amazing how many of us come up with excuses of why that doesn't apply to us. We read passages in the New Testament about how powerful our tongue is and our speech and what we say and Yet we find ourselves gossiping in the form of a prayer request. We find ourselves saying whatever we want to say because that person deserves it. That's how they treated me at work and what they get they have coming to them. We we find ourselves worrying and fretting and we find ourselves beginning to live in our own flesh and our own strength. And though God's word says lean not on your own understanding, your own efforts, but acknowledge him, put your trust in him, and he's going to direct your path well. You don't understand. God helps those who help themselves. No, wrong. Not in the Bible. We begin to come up with all kinds of excuses. And here Josiah faces up to his part and he's not going to make any excuses. And so he makes three choices that breaks this family tradition, this habit, this pattern of living. And says, I'm going to get unstuck and I'm going to lead my nation to get unstuck. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. 
Now, we can't miss this. We need to realize what's going on here. It says that Josiah followed the ways of his father, David. David was not his father. Ammon was his father. So what's going on here? Josiah realized that he needed a new role model. Now, he couldn't look to his father for direction of how to live. His father did not give him a good example. So he had to go pretty far back in the line to find somebody. His great or his grandfather wouldn't cut it. He had to go pretty far back to find somebody who was a good model, a good pattern to, to focus their life after. Now, we don't know for sure, but it appears that Josiah had some information about David. So he went to the archive, we assume, and, and listened to the family stories that were passed down about King David and how he was a man after God's own heart. And he sets his course, sets his mind that I'm going to pattern myself. I'm going to have a new role model, and it's going to be King David of how to live for God here on earth. The first truth or principle that we can catch from Josiah's story today on how to get unstuck is some of us really need to key in and choose a new model. Who are you going to pattern your life after? Who is it that you can say, I'm going to follow you as you are following God? We can whine and complain about the parenting or the shepherding or lack thereof that we received. But do what Josiah did. Choose to find a new role model for your life. Instead of just saying, God, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better Christian. Say, God, I want to choose to find this person who I am going to pattern their obedience into my life. We have to move past the I want to or I wish or I hope or I try and choose a better role model for us. Everybody needs someone who has flesh and blood right with them that they can look to, that they can see what obedience looks like here and now. We need to see people who can model for us what it means to have a family and how to conduct ourselves as a Christian, God-fearing family. And not so much just about rules and religion and regulation, but what does it mean to pray together? What does it mean to, to love God's Word together? What does it mean to minister and serve together? What does it mean to uh, treat each other with respect and love in our family God's way? How should a mature Christian act and love and give and lead? How should a spirit-filled businessman or woman do business? How should a godly young man or a woman view life that is ahead of them? Now often we focus on the negative around us. We focus on the patterns or the habits that people around us have. We say, okay, I don't want to be like my dad. Or I don't want to be like my mom. Or I don't want to be like my uncle. Or I don't want to be like that person at work. Or I don't want to be like that friend. And you know what? It's a losing battle because we focus on the negative. We focus on what we don't want to do. And we end up becoming or following in the pattern of what we're focusing on. So part of what the freedom comes in getting unstuck that Josiah is doing, he is choosing to focus on what he wants to become, not on what he doesn't want to be. Now, now Dale, I've got a challenge for you. I want you to, to, this morning, try to not think about pink elephants. Whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants with long trunks and, and big ears and big feet. They're pink, they're huge, they're big. Do not think about pink elephants. It's hard to do that. And some of us, we live our life saying, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to feel that, I'm not going to want that, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And pretty soon, 
I am looking at that. I am feeling that. I am going there. I am owning that in my heart. And, and I become what it is I focus on. God is calling us to find a place to fix our eyes and say, that is where I'm going. That is what you are calling me to. I'll never forget the first time that uh, I rode a, lo- a riding lawnmower at my grandfather's house. And, and he wanted me to have straight lines in the yard. And, and I didn't have a clue of what I was doing. And after I did half the yard, he clearly saw that I needed more instruction. And I was just kind of looking to see how I was doing. And, and many of you who, who are in farming or you've had this lesson yourself, trying to keep things straight as you're looking here and here didn't work. You've got to fix your eyes on the horizon, on the distance to one place and move towards that and, and ignore everything else around you. That's where I want to go and drive there. And it's amazing how straight everything else can be around you. To get unstuck, we need to recognize who it is we are patterning our life after. It's not enough just to know, I don't want to repeat the problems of the past. It's not enough to know, I want to face up and turn from this. Where is it I want to go? Who is it that God is calling me to be like? Let's continue on. Let's look at verse 3 together. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asher poles and idols under his direction. The altars and the bales were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asher poles and the idols. He broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those he sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. As you continue on, you begin to see that he crushed these idols. And he he cut them to pieces and he scattered them. He said, I'm going to purge the kingdom of everything that resembles the old way we used to live. If we don't want to go that direction, we are going to purge everything and get it out of the kingdom. I'm not just going to move it to the side. I'm not just going to put it in storage. I'm not going to just put something in its place. I'm going to burn it, crush it, cut it up to pieces, get it out of here. And that's what he did. For us to get unstuck, I believe we need to follow in Josiah's footsteps, an eight-year-old wisdom that God entrusted to him, to purge our world. What is it in our world that is symbols, enticements that take us back to an old way of thinking, of acting, of living. Anything that has potential to drag us back to what we have faced up to as wrong, that we don't want to go down. It's it's our choice to either choose that habit, that pattern, that family system again, or to choose something else. We want to purge ourselves of everything like that. Don't just take it and put it in your spiritual garage in your life. Don't just put it on the back burner on the shelf. Get it out of there. Purge it. Get it far away. If you want to get unstuck, you have to purge everything that takes you back to what it is that God's calling you to face up to. Now, if you, if you don't want to get unstuck, then don't remove those things in your life. I mean, if you really don't want to get unstuck, then then keep it around. I think most people don't really want to get unstuck. They'd rather just complain about being stuck, but but don't try to get them unstuck because they don't really want to be out from that gunk. But if you really want to get unstuck, you don't want to stay there. You've got to purge it. Okay, this morning? Do, do, 
Do you want to be free from the stuff that's holding you back? Or do I just want to complain about it? Do I just want to have woes and wish that God would wave a magic wand and help things to be better, but don't really cause me to change any? To focus on something new and, and where I want to be, not on what's going wrong, and, and to purge the things in my life that are, are not supposed to be there. I don't know that I want to do that. I, I'm not that upset about being stuck. I'll just stay stuck. I am tired of people who say, I, I want to be free from lust issues in my life. Men, if you don't want to be stuck in lust, purge yourself of unaccountable internet access. Purge yourself of opportunities to be dishonest in your own thinking. Purge yourself of relationships that walk the line. Purge yourself of a thought life that you once had and rid that out of your mind. Purge anything that takes you back to that thought. Don't complain about it. Purge it. Now, I'm not trying to speak condemnation. I'm just trying to give you freedom. God wants you to have victory over lust in your life. Purge it out of your mind. Change some things. Don't expect, well, I'll just try harder. You know what? The enemy is going to try harder than you. Get it out. Purge it. Some of you are mad about that. Want me to move on to the next point? Some of us are stuck in crippling fear. I don't want to be fearful anymore. Purge it out of your life. Purge the worry out of your life. You know, there's a huge difference between worry and concern. It's healthy to be concerned. I'm concerned when there's something I can proactively do in a situation. This doesn't mean you live your life just, you know, willy-nilly, not caring about anything. Oh, who cares? I don't know. Not being irresponsible. No, you can have concern. But when I move to worry, I'm now fretting. <clears throat> and there's nothing else that I can do about it, so I'm going to wring my hands and, and, and make myself and everybody else pay for this as I fret and worry. Rid it. Get that pattern out of your life. Rid yourself. Purge the relationships that lead you to worry. You know, there's some people who you were doing pretty good till you talk to them, and they say, how you doing? Good. Are you sure? Well, I think so. Well, how about this? Well, I, I, I don't know. And before too long, the more you talk to them, the more depressed you are, the more you begin to worry. They lead you down a path of that. You can be kind to them. You can love them. But rid yourself of that attachment. Purge yourself from that relationship. Anything that takes you back to an old way of living, get it out. Pride. I want to have victory over pride. Purge yourself of your obsession with yourself. Your obsession with how people view you. Your obsession with how people should view you or how they don't view you. It's not about you. Get it out. Well, I don't know that I really want to be that unstuck. I mean, I don't like being stuck, but I mean, I can't not think about me. Number one, have it my way right away now. Pride will always be a problem until you're willing to purge yourself of these false ideas and thoughts about who you are, what you think you deserve, and what you think should or could happen for you. Purge yourself of habits that are not pleasing to God. Purge yourself of places that may be permissible but definitely not beneficial for you. Purge yourself of anything that takes you away from God. We have this silly idea that a strong Christian can walk really close to the line because they're so strong and they won't fall off. This is dumb. Why, if I am a strong believer in Jesus, what I want to get as close as I can to not following Jesus. It may be permissible, but if I'm a strong believer, I want to get as far away from that as possible. 
Well, I have freedom. Well, yeah, I have freedom not to get close to the edge. I don't need to do that. Purge yourself of anything that takes you back to that old system of thinking and living. The reason that we are stuck is because often we're not really willing to purge. Josiah didn't just put them in storage. He smashed them. He cut them up. He burnt them. You see, in light of where you have been in your past, and in light of where God is taking you in your future, allow Him to give you wisdom to purge the things out of your life right now that will prevent you from getting to where you need to be. It's not going to be the same for every person. Someone else may not have the same past that you have. Someone else may not be having the same destination that God is taking them. And so when God tells you to get this out of your life, be obedient. Don't say, well, everybody else didn't have to get that out. They may not have the same past. They may not have the same future. God wants to bring freedom in you and get you unstuck. But there has to be a purging to move it out of our life. Now, here's what religion has taught us. Right here, a lot of us can get real uncomfortable. Isn't it fun? I like to sit in uncomfortable situations sometimes. Religion sometimes has taught a few of us to come up with this excuse. Well, I am a grace-centered believer, and all this purging and getting rid of things sounds a lot like legalism, and I'm a grace-centered believer. That's hogwash. I'm a grace-centered believer, but I believe Jesus is calling us to be obedient and to be holy and pure before Him. Jesus is a grace-centered Savior, and He says, be pure and holy before me. Be holy. Allow me to perfect you. God does not want us to stay stuck. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. See, in Jesus Christ, we can allow His truth, His word, His standard, His law to be perfected in our life. On your own, no way. Legalism is when you try to do it yourself. So don't get confused. Purging is not the legalism. Trying to purge your life yourself is legalistic. That's a trap. You'll never be able to do it. But you can be free from these idols and these entrapments in your life through the power of God in your life. Amen? Oh, that's good. I don't care who you are. That's good. We've got to face up to it and purge our world. We've got to get it out of our life. Uh, I'll never forget about six or seven years ago, I was in Ohio and I was in a car accident. Now, for some of you who don't know me very well yet, uh, this should be strange because I am the slowest, most boring driver you have ever met. Uh, There's a car insurance commercial playing now that they talk about somebody uh, who is driving under the speed limit and they signaled uh, uh, so many feet before and they're all excited about this perfect driver. Uh, I think I'm that guy. And and I don't share this as a credit to myself. This is a thorn in my wife's side. (laughs) Amen, there. That's good. And that's just, I'm just kind of the boring, slow driver. And so I'm in a two-lane road, and, and I've got some soft music on, and I've got my hands at 10 and 2, and I'm just driving every way you're supposed to. And out of nowhere, this other car comes flying across two lanes of traffic and plows right into me, sets the airbag off, and my hands are blown up by the airbag. My left hand goes into the windshield, shatters the windshield, and I'm kind of in shock, and my hand comes down, and I just got blood everywhere. Then the uh, uh, EMT people come, and they look at what's going on. I'm still kind of in shock, and they take me to the ER, and I'm standing there, and, and I'm in the ER room there, and the nurse says, uh, let me look at your hand. Does it hurt? Shock is beginning to wear off, and, and I said, it smarts, but inside I'm going, it's killing me. It's bad. I tried to muster up all my braveness to, to not really 
struggle too much, and I'm there, and my hand is full of glass from the windshield. And she says, well, let me go get the doctor to help you clean it out. Now, I took some comfort in that, uh, and later I found out that I shouldn't. I thought, well, this is good. They're going to get a doctor who's got more training to be more gentle with me and to really take this glass out in a very sophisticated way. So the doctor comes in, and he's going to get the glass out of my hands, and so he reaches for a gauze pad and puts some kind of disinfectant on that and, and puts it on my hand and does a sandpaper rub to remove the glass. At this point, it no longer smarted. I let him know this was horrible. Like the pain chart did not have the, you know, frowny face on it bad enough for me to tell him how bad it was. And so he kind of was startled by my wimpiness. And, and so he goes at it again, kind of looking at me strange. And, and finally I said, that's enough. He goes, well, did we get it out? I said, it's all gone. It's all out. I'm confident. And so they wrapped it up. And after a few weeks and months, it healed. And there was no more scab. And it was just healed over nice. But I noticed as I was in my office typing on my computer, every time I would do this, there'd be a sharp pain. And, and it got worse. Over and over, and one day I just couldn't take it any longer, and so I began to squeeze my hand, and out from the skin protruded about a half-inch shard of glass that would been in there, and all kinds of other nasty stuff that I won't tell you about. It was gross. You see, our bodies are amazing when there's something foreign inside of it that's not supposed to be there. The body wants to push it out. Healing cannot continue until all the foreign objects are out of the way. And so as I began to pull myself all the other shards of glass out of my healed hand, this was way more painful than what the doctor had intended to do. Friends, some of us need to purge the things out of our life, and it's going to be painful. I'm not suggesting today that just with one 30-second prayer, you can walk out smiling and you purge yourself and it's just rosy and everything's fine. God may take the, the gauze pad and disinfectant and, and rub you raw in some areas. But he wants to get those idols, those things out, those foreign objects that were never intended to be in your heart. And if you resist that, it's going to come out at one point or another. It's going to prevent the healing that needs to take place. You're going to stay stuck until you purge yourself of those things that shouldn't be there. This is what Josiah was talking about. He said, I want it out of the kingdom. Look at verse 29. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commands, his regulations, decrees with all of his heart and soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. What did he do? He established Scripture as the standard. He found the Scripture. He rediscovered the Scripture. It had been lost. It had been pushed aside. But he dusted off the Scripture. He put it in its rightful place, front and center in his life and the kingdom. And he says, this is the standard. Now, don't miss this. Even though he was eight years old, he was the king. His will... His words literally became law. Now catch what he's saying. My life, my opinion, is not going to rule this kingdom. 
my personality, my mood swings, my emotions are not going to rule this kingdom. Scripture, the word of God, the truth of God is going to be the standard. How many of us would have done that? I can imagine that he'd be tempted to say, well, if I'm the king, I could just read the scripture. And when I say it, it becomes law. So when I read it and I like it, I can say it and then God's word becomes law. But leaving a loophole that there may be some passages of scripture he didn't want to read. He says, no, no, no. It's not my authority in my life and my kingdom anymore. It is God's standard. It is his law. It is his truth that's going to govern us. He knew there needed to be a public declaration of that in his life. Friends, we need to get that straight. Some of us desperately need to declare publicly what is going to guide and rule us. So here's what Josiah did. He made this public covenant in the presence of the Lord and everyone else with all of his heart and soul and mind that he in the kingdom would allow God to be first. Have you ever done that? Let God give you a wake-up call today. Most Christians have not made a renewal covenant of the authority of Scripture in their life. Oh, they say they believe the Bible, and they say they're a person of one book, but when you look at their checkbook, you look at their schedule, you you look at their resources, their talents, and how they use them, it begins to paint a very different picture of, of if it's their rule or if it's God's rule. Most Christians justify, well, these are tough times. I'll get around to it later. Or she did this to me, or, or he didn't do that for me, and so I have some kind of excuse or reason. Face up to it to get unstuck. We need to let God's word be the standard. Look at this final verse with me in verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Why? Because he established the word of God as his standard. You can't just purge yourself and rid yourself of the foreign objects in your life without allowing God's word to fill that void in space. So many of us, we try to purge and think about no more pink elephants and and, and we need to set that, that course of who we're going to be modeled after. We need to get those things out of our life, but allow God's truth and word to fill that space in us. I want you to turn your sheet over as we close this morning. Look at the back page of that note sheet. I want to challenge you to identify a negative trait that you are stuck in. It may be judging others. It may be in being boastful. It may be having anger issues. It may be with profanity. It may be with being irresponsible or being lazy. It may be with... Not giving to the Lord. It may be with cheating or stealing. It may be, who knows what it is. But you identify an area that you are stuck in. And I want you to find a corresponding scripture. And I want you to not only memorize it, I want you to meditate on it. And allow God's word to be prioritized in your life. Now if you say God's word is going to be my standard, it takes first place in my life. Here's what God's going to do. As you memorize this verse, as you memorize and meditate on this word, the next time the situation comes up, God will bring that scripture to mind and he will give it authority in your life but you have to already agree that it is first place for you as we close this morning it'd be easy to end here and just say good talk but i believe god wants us to have an opportunity to get some freedom right now 
Some of you here today, God has been speaking to you ever since that first point where it was a challenge to find somebody who you need a new role model, who you've been looking to, who you've been blaming, who you've been staying stuck with. You need to say, you know what? I'm going to choose a new spiritual father. I'm going to choose a new person to pattern my obedience after. Somebody here today, God is speaking to you, and there's freedom for you in that. Others, God has put his thumb in your back, and the Holy Spirit has begun to convict you of things that you need to purge from your life. Healing will not happen until you get the foreign objects out of your life. Don't let Satan get on your shoulder and say, you're a no good person and and, and beat you up. Everybody gets stuck, but you don't have to stay stuck. There's freedom for you, but it has to be burned, smashed, cut to pieces, not protected and hidden and saved away for when you want to pull that idol back out another time. Others of you, maybe it's today a public declaration that God's word is going to be the standard. It's no longer my emotions that's going to dictate what I do. It's no longer going to be my preference. It's no longer going to be my will. It's going to be what God's word says. In a moment, we're not going to hang out long. We're not going to tarry here long, but I want to ask you to do a tough thing. If God's speaking to you, I want you to come and pray here at these altars. And don't come because I'm asking you to. If God's speaking to you, you'll know it. It's specific. It's like a neon sign flashing in your mind. It's glowing. You know exactly what it is. God's not vague. If you have to muster up something, then then you just keep listening. God will speak very specifically to you. But if God is speaking to you, I encourage you today, don't brush it by. You could sit in your seat and say, well, pastor, why do I have to come pray at these altars? You don't have to come pray here. You can pray anywhere. Well, well, why don't I just stay at my seat? You know what? (laughs) I don't want you to play games with trying to compromise on what God's wanting to do in your life to stay comfortable and say, well, I don't really want to go out and pray. Now, if you have a medical issue and you can't get up, that's fine. But if this is an embarrassment issue or if this is a compromise issue, hey, getting unstuck is very public. And so to try to get unstuck and keep your cover... You're already stuck again. Allow God to bring freedom. But if God is speaking to you, as Pastor Edgar leads us in this song, I want to invite you right now to stand up, come forward, and meet your Savior at the altar and take your heart to Him. Let's obey God as we sing this song.